Chapter Nineteen of Capital, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Capital: A Critical Analysis of Capitalist Production, Volume One, by Karl Marx. Translated from the Third German Edition by Samuel Moore and Edward Aveling, and edited by Friedrich Engels. Part Six. Wages. Chapter Nineteen. The Transformation of the Value, and Respectively the Price, of Labor-Power into Wages. On the surface of bourgeois society the wage of the laborer appears as the price of labor, a certain quantity of money that is paid for a certain quantity of labor. Thus people speak of the value of labor, and call its expression in money its necessary or natural price. On the other hand, they speak of the market prices of labor, i.e., prices oscillating above or below its natural price. But what is the value of a commodity, the objective form of the social labor expended in its production? And how do we measure the quantity of this value? By the quantity of the labor contained in it. How, then, is the value, e.g., of a twelve-hour working day to be determined? By the twelve working hours contained in a working day of twelve hours, which is an absurd tautology. Footnote. Mr. Ricardo ingeniously enough avoids a difficulty which, on a first view, threatens to encumber his doctrine, that value depends on the quantity of labor employed in production. If this principle is rigidly adhered to, it follows that the value of labor depends on the quantity of labor employed in producing it, which is evidently absurd. By a dexterous turn, therefore, Mr. Ricardo makes the value of labor depend on the quantity of labor required to produce wages or, to give him the benefit of his own language, he maintains that the value of labor is to be estimated by the quantity of labor required to produce wages, by which he means the quantity of labor required to produce the money or commodities given to the laborer. This is similar to saying that the value of cloth is estimated not by the quantity of labor bestowed on its production, but by the quantity of labor bestowed on the production of the silver for which the cloth is exchanged. A Critical Dissertation on the Nature, etc., of Value, pages 50-51. In order to be sold as a commodity in the market, labor must, at all events, exist before it is sold. But, could the laborer give it an independent, objective existence, he would sell a commodity and not labor. Footnote. If you call labor a commodity, it is not like a commodity which is first produced in order to exchange, and then brought to market where it must exchange with other commodities according to the respective quantities of each, which there may be in the market at the time. Labor is created the moment it is brought to market, nay, it is brought to market before it is created. Observations on Certain Verbal Disputes, etc., pages 75 and 76. End note. Apart from these contradictions, a direct exchange of money, i.e., of realized labor, with living labor, would either do away with the law of value which only begins to develop itself freely on the basis of capitalist production, or do away with capitalist production itself, which rests directly on wage labor. The working day of twelve hours embodies itself, e.g., in a money value of six shillings. Either equivalents are exchanged, and then the laborer receives six shillings for twelve hours' labor, the price of his labor would be equal to the price of his product. In this case he produces no surplus value for the buyer of his labor, the six shillings are not transformed into capital, the basis of capitalist production vanishes. 
but it is on this very basis that he sells his labor and that his labor is wage labor or else he receives for twelve hours labor less than six shillings i e less than twelve hours labor twelve hours labor are exchanged against ten six etc hours labor this equalization of unequal quantities not merely does away with the determination of value such a self-destructive contradiction cannot be in any way even enunciated or formulated as a law footnote treating labor as a commodity and capital the produce of labor as another then if the values of these two commodities were regulated by equal quantities of labor a given amount of labor would exchange for the quantity of capital which had been produced by the same amount of labor antecedent labor would exchange for the same amount as present labor but the value of labor in relation to other commodities is determined not by equal quantities of labor e g wakefield in his edition of adam smith's wealth of nations volume one london eighteen thirty six page two thirty one note end note it is of no avail to deduce the exchange of more labor against less from their difference of form the one being realized the other living footnote there has to be a new agreement a new edition of the social contract that whenever there is an exchange of work done for work to be done the latter the capitalist is to receive higher value than the former the worker simon de sismondi de la richesse commerciale geneva eighteen o three volume one page thirty seven and note this is the more absurd as the value of a commodity is determined not by the quantity of labor actually realized in it but by the quantity of living labor necessary for its production a commodity represents say six working hours if an invention is made by which it can be produced in three hours the value even of the commodity already produced falls by half it represents now three hours of social labor instead of the six formerly necessary it is the quantity of labor required for its production not the realized form of that labor by which the amount of value of a commodity is determined that which comes directly face to face with the possessor of money on the market is in fact not labor but the laborer what the latter sells is his labor power as soon as his labor actually begins it has already ceased to belong to him it can therefore no longer be sold by him labor is the substance and the imminent measure of value but has itself no value footnote labor the exclusive standard of value the creator of all wealth no commodity thomas hodgkin popular political economy page one eighty six end note in the expression value of labor the idea of value is not only completely obliterated but actually reversed it is an expression as imaginary as the value of the earth these imaginary expressions arise however from the relations of production themselves they are categories for the phenomenal forms of essential relations that in their appearance things often represent themselves in inverted form is pretty well known in every science except political economy footnote on the other hand the attempt to explain such expressions as merely poetic license only shows the impotence of the analysis hence in answer to proudhon's phrase labor is called value not as being a commodity itself but in view of the values supposed to be potentially embodied in it the value of labor is a figurative expression etc i have remarked in labor commodity which is a frightful reality he proudhon sees nothing but a grammatical ellipsis the whole of existing society then based upon labor commodity is henceforth based upon poetic license 
on a figurative expression. Does society desire to eliminate all the inconveniences which trouble it, it has only to eliminate all the ill-sounding terms. Let it change the language, and for that it has only to address itself to the academy, and ask it for a new edition of its dictionary. Karl Marx, Misere de la Philosophie, pages 34 and 35. It is naturally still more convenient to understand by value nothing at all. Then one can without difficulty subsume everything under this category. Thus, e.g., J. B. Say, what is value? Answer, that which a thing is worth, and what is price? Answer, the value of a thing expressed in money. And why has agriculture a value? Answer, because one sets a price on it. Therefore, value is what a thing is worth, and the land has its value, because its value is expressed in money. This is anyhow a very simple way of explaining the why and the wherefore of things. End note. Classical political economy borrowed from everyday life the category price of labor without further criticism, and then simply asked the question, how is this price determined? It soon recognized that the change in the relations of demand and supply explained in regard to the price of labor, as of all other commodities, nothing except its changes, i.e., the oscillations of the market price above or below a certain mean. If demand and supply balance, the oscillation of price ceases, all other conditions remaining the same. But then demand and supply also cease to explain anything. The price of labor, at the moment when demand and supply are in equilibrium, is its natural price, determined independently of the relation of demand and supply. And how this price is determined is just the question. Or a larger period of oscillations in the market price is taken, e.g. a year, and they are found to cancel one the other, leaving a mean average quantity, a relatively constant magnitude. This had naturally to be determined otherwise than by its own compensating variations. This price, which always finally predominates over the accidental market prices of labor and regulates them, this necessary price, physiocrats, or natural price of labor, Adam Smith, can, as with all other commodities, be nothing else than its value expressed in money. In this way, political economy expected to penetrate, athwart, the accidental prices of labor, to the value of labor. As with other commodities, this value is determined by the cost of production. But what is the cost of production of the laborer, i.e., the cost of producing or reproducing the laborer himself? This question unconsciously substituted itself in political economy for the original one, for the search after the cost of production of labor, as such, turned into a circle and never left the spot. What economists therefore call value of labor is in fact the value of labor power, as it exists in the personality of the laborer, which is as different from its function, labor, as a machine is from the work it performs. Occupied with the difference between the market price of labor and its so-called value, with the relation of this value to the rate of profit, and to the values of the commodities produced by the means of labor, they never discovered that the course of analysis had led not only from the market prices of labor to its presumed value, but had led to the resolution of this value of labor itself into the value of labor power. Classical economy never arrived at a consciousness of the results of its own analysis. It accepted uncritically the categories value of labor, natural price of labor, etc., as final and as adequate expressions for the value relation under consideration and was thus led, as will be seen later, into inextricable confusion and contradiction, while it offered to the vulgar economists a secure basis of operations for their shallowness, which on principle worships appearances only.
Let us next see how value and price of labor-power present themselves in this transformed condition as wages. We know that the daily value of labor-power is calculated upon a certain length of the laborer's life, to which again corresponds a certain length of working day. Assume the habitual working day as twelve hours, the daily value of labor-power as three shillings, the expression in money of a value that embodies six hours of labor. If the laborer receives three shillings, then he receives the value of his labor-power functioning through twelve hours. If now this value of a day's labor-power is expressed as the value of a day's labor itself, we have the formula. Twelve hours' labor has a value of three shillings. The value of labor-power thus determines the value of labor, or, expressed in money, its necessary price. If, on the other hand, the price of labor-power differs from its value, in like manner the price of labor differs from its so-called value. As the value of labor is only an irrational expression for the value of labor-power, it follows, of course, that the value of labor must always be less than the value it produces. For the capitalist always makes labor-power to work longer than is necessary for the reproduction of its own value. In the above example, the value of labor-power that functions through twelve hours is three shillings, a value for the reproduction of which six hours are required. The value which the labor-power produces is, on the other hand, six shillings, because it in fact functions during twelve hours, and the value it produces depends not on its own value, but on the length of time it is in action. Thus we have a result absurd at first sight, that labor which creates a value of six shillings possesses a value of three shillings. Footnote. See also, Zur Critic, etc., page 40, where I state that, in the portion of that work that deals with capital, this problem will be solved. How does production, on the basis of exchange value determined simply by labor time, lead to the result that the exchange value of labor is less than the exchange value of its product? End note. We see, further, the value of three shillings, by which a part only of the working day, i.e., six hours' labor, is paid for, appears as the value or price of the whole working day of twelve hours, which thus includes six hours unpaid for. The wage form thus extinguishes every trace of the division of the working day into necessary labor and surplus labor, into paid and unpaid labor. All labor appears as paid labor. In the corvée, the labor of the worker for himself, and his compulsory labor for his lord, differ in space and time in the clearest possible way. In slave labor, even that part of the working day in which the slave is only replacing the value of his own means of existence, in which, therefore, in fact, he works for himself alone, appears as labor for his master. All the slave's labor appears as unpaid labor. Footnote. The Morning Star, a London free trade organ, naive to silliness, protested again and again during the American Civil War, with all the moral indignation of which man is capable, that the Negro in the Confederate States worked absolutely for nothing. It should have compared the daily cost of such a Negro with that of the free workmen in the East End of London. End note. In wage labor, on the contrary, even surplus labor, or unpaid labor, appears as paid. There the property relation conceals the labor of the slave for himself. Here the money relation conceals the unrequited labor of the wage laborer. Hence we may understand the decisive importance of the transformation of value and price of labor-power into the form of wages, or into the value and price of labor itself. This phenomenal form, which makes the actual relation invisible, and indeed shows the direct opposite of that relation, 
forms the basis of all the juridical notions of both laborer and capitalist, of all the mystifications of the capitalist mode of production, of all its illusions as to liberty, of all the apologetic shifts of the vulgar economists. If history took a long time to get at the bottom of the mystery of wages, nothing, on the other hand, is more easy to understand than the necessity, the raison d'etre, of this phenomenon. The exchange between capital and labor at first presents itself to the mind in the same guise as the buying and selling of all other commodities. The buyer gives a certain sum of money, the seller an article of a nature different from money. The jurist's consciousness recognizes in this, at most, a material difference, expressed in the juridically equivalent formula, du et dus, du ut facius, facio et dus, facio ut facius. Footnote. I give in order that you may give, I give in order that you may produce, I produce so that you may give, I produce so that you may produce. End note. Furthermore, exchange value and use value, being intrinsically incommensurable magnitudes, the expressions value of labor, price of labor, do not seem more irrational than the expressions value of cotton, price of cotton. Moreover, the laborer is paid after he has given his labor. In its function of means of payment, money realizes subsequently the value or price of the article supplied, i.e., in this particular case, the value or price of the labor supplied. Finally, the use value supplied by the laborer to the capitalist is not, in fact, his labor power, but its function, some definite useful labor, the work of tailoring, shoemaking, spinning, etc., that this same labor is, on the other hand, the universal value-creating element, and thus possesses a property by which it differs from all other commodities, is beyond the cognizance of the ordinary mind. Let us put ourselves in the place of the laborer who receives for twelve hours' labor, say, the value produced by six hours' labor, say, three shillings. For him, in fact, his twelve hours' labor is the means of buying the three shillings. The value of his labor power may vary, with the value of his usual means of subsistence, from three to four shillings, or from three to two shillings, or, if the value of his labor-power remains constant, its price may, in consequence of changing relations of demand and supply, rise to four shillings, or fall to two shillings. He always gives twelve hours of labor. Every change in the amount of the equivalent that he receives appears to him, therefore, necessarily as a change in the value or price of his twelve hours' work. This circumstance misled Adam Smith, who treated the working day as a constant quantity, to the assertion that the value of labor is constant although the value of the means of subsistence may vary, and the same working day, therefore, may represent itself in more or less money for the laborer. Footnote. Adam Smith only accidentally alludes to the variation of the working day when he is referring to peace wages. End note. Let us consider, on the other hand, the capitalist. He wishes to receive as much labor as possible for as little money as possible. Practically, therefore, the only thing that interests him is the difference between the price of labor-power and the value which its function creates. But then he tries to buy all commodities as cheaply as possible, and always accounts for his profit by simple cheating, or buying under and selling over the value. Hence he never comes to see that, if such a thing as the value of labor really existed, and he really paid to this value, no capital would exist, his money would not be turned into capital." Moreover, the actual movement of wages presents phenomena which seem to prove that not the value of labor-power is paid, but the value of its function, of labor itself. 
we may reduce these phenomena to two great classes. One, change of wages with the changing length of the working day. One might as well conclude that not the value of a machine is paid, but that of its working, because it costs more to hire a machine for a week than for a day. Two, the individual difference in the wages of different laborers who do the same kind of work. We find this individual difference, but are not deceived by it, in the system of slavery where frankly and openly, without any circumlocution, labor power itself is sold. Only in the slave system, the advantage of a labor power above the average, and the disadvantage of a labor power below the average, affects the slave owner. In the wage-labor system it affects the laborer himself, because his labor power is, in the one case, sold by himself, in the other by a third person. For the rest, in respect to the phenomenal form, value and price of labor, or wages, as contrasted with the essential relation manifested therein, viz., the value and price of labor power, the same difference holds that holds in respect to all phenomena and their hidden substratum. The former appear directly and spontaneously as current modes of thought. The latter must first be discovered by science. Classical political economy nearly touches the true relation of things, without, however, consciously formulating it. This it cannot, so long as it sticks in its bourgeois skin. End of chapter 19